Pastor Ed Taylor wonders why the church is freaking out now. One of the things that puzzles me is I don't understand why everybody's freaking out. We know this is going to happen. I, I don't understand. Like, oh, no, what's happening? I think I've, I've hit it where, you know, praying through it and thinking through it. I think what's happening is there's a piece where, you know, I'm freaking out because I didn't think it was going to be my generation. <laughs> I believe it's going to happen. I just didn't think I was going to see it with my own eyes. But it, the Bible has already spoken about perilous times. Men will be lovers of themselves, that, that people will betray one another, that even family disintegration. And you, you I mean, it, the Bible is, this is no surprise except that we are seeing it with our own eyes. And we're a generation that's being called to a higher level of living as believers. This is amazing grace. There is no doubt about it, these are difficult times we're living in. From a virus that's made its way around the world, to government restrictions and lockdowns, and an election that has left many frustrated or discouraged. But when you stop to consider the Bible said it would be this way in the last days, your perspective can change from freaking out to a calm trust in the Lord. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll share a special message from Pastor Ed Taylor delivered just a few weeks ago. He believes this is the time for the church to rise up. Turn with us to Nehemiah chapter 2, and let's hear what he has to say. Take your Bibles, would you please open them to the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Church, Let's Rise Up. Now, this section of Scripture is often used when there is a building project. On. We've used it many times here as we've had different building projects where, come on, let's come together. Let's be in unity. Let's rise up, church. But today I want to speak to this. I'm going to use this, and I believe God wants to speak to us spiritually. We have no big building project planned, and really we don't know what 2021 will bring. But we do know that God wants us to get up. Because I think that part of 2020, some of you have fallen and straight away. You've gotten your eyes off of the Lord because it's been a difficult year, and there have been many opportunities to veer off to the left or to the right, because I don't think any of us would disagree that we're living in the most interesting of times. Words like unprecedented, extraordinary, unparalleled, they all describe 2020. The year 2020 will go down in the history books as well. I don't quite know yet, but it has been interesting. You have all of the regular issues and things that we go through. The pain, the sorrows, the grief, the warfare. You know, we've all had regular life. Uh, it's like a marriage in crisis. When I'm speaking to a marriage in crisis and they're in deep crisis, it, part of our discussion with them will be reminding you that there are normal marriage issues and there are issues that are made worse by the crisis. And I think that's true in our lives. There are normal issues in our lives. There, there are normal things we've had to deal with this year, normal things that would happen to believer and unbeliever alike. But there's also been crisis issues. You know, we had COVID and the corresponding restrictions. We've had governmental overreach. We've had more globalism. We've had a very 
Uh, interesting election cycle. We've had very difficult racial tensions. We've had believers acting like unbelievers. We, we've seen great damage done to the name and the cause of Jesus Christ. But not only that, we've seen people hurt physically, emotionally, spiritually. I can't think of a time in the 21 years, and by the way, yesterday was our 21-year birthday as a church. Yesterday we started 21 years ago. In the 21 years I've been here, we've seen a lot of hurt, a lot of damage, a lot of division, a lot of that, but I've never seen the church so divided than I have this year. Not even over theological things. It's not even over, nobody, we're not even finding people arguing about doctrine. It's about other, not even secondary things, but so divisive and so fighting one another and biting and devouring one another. And it's been hard. In many ways, even institutions that once we viewed as strong and reliable and even impenetrable have been weakened and even destroyed. When you look around, what do you see? Well, let me ask that question a different way. Are you looking around at all? Now, as I'm describing some of these things, they're all familiar to you. You've experienced them. You've seen them. But do you see them with spiritual eyes? Or is it just the physical you're responding to? When you look around, how do you look around? And what do you see? Because how you see will determine how you behave and how you respond. When you look around, do you see the sin that has so destroyed lives? Do you see the poverty, the pain? Do you see the crime? Do you see the lost? The answer to these questions really determine the course of your life as you serve the Lord. Remember, when Jesus looked at Jerusalem, he cried. When Jesus saw the crowds, he saw opportunity. Of course, the disciples, they just saw, you know, we can't feed them. We don't know what to do with them. But Jesus said, no, we're going to take care of them. They're hungry and tired. And how we see the world will determine how we respond. And I have to say that many, many believers, perhaps even some of you, have seen 2020 unfold and you've only seen the physical. And you've responded in the physical and it hasn't done much for the cause of Jesus Christ or the gospel. You, you've fallen. Maybe even fallen away. You know, the Bible says, though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again. And the clarion call for our church, you know, I've shared this before. I'm not responsible for every single church and the church at large, but I am going to answer to God for this church and my responsibility in leading and teaching this church. And I believe the call of God for our church is it's time to rise up with spiritual eyes and a spiritual heart. Because I'll tell you what, 2020, years like 2020, episodes like 2020 have a way of hardening hearts where you don't see things the way God sees them anymore. And you don't care. You just don't care. And you're upset because the election didn't go the way you wanted it. And you're upset because the restrictions and, and you're upset. And now all of a sudden the church is just known as being mad all the time. It's like, what are you so mad about? Your sins are forgiven. Jesus died for you and rose again. He rests. So many of us have a testimony. We were rescued from the very pit of pits of pits. What are you so upset about? The church's reputation has become one where they, they think that the government's the only one in control. So people are all freaking out. Well, this guy said this and this guy said that. The Bible is very clear, as you'll see in a moment with Nehemiah. God is bigger than any government. And he will use every government for his purposes. Nobody's going to thwart the will of God. 
God is going to use every situation in your life and mine to accomplish his will. But here's the thing. Will we cooperate? Will we be a part of it? When you see and how you see is so important, church. Please hear me out. Nehemiah, he was asking questions in chapter 1. In chapter 1, he asked the question, how's the city doing? I think that's a great question. How's the city doing? You could say that today. How's Aurora? How's Denver? How's Lakewood? How's Evergreen? How's the city doing? And listen, listen to the answer in verse 2, chapter 1. Hannah and I, one of my brethren, came with men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped to survive captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in, and he looked at two things, great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah was a sharp man, and he understood that cities are filled with people. And he wanted to know, how are the people, and how's the city? And the answer was twofold. Number one, the people are in great distress. And number two, the people are under great reproach. Great distress, great reproach. Now, great distress has to do with the people individually, their, their own response, their own life. They are in great distress. And if there is a phrase to describe the people of our country, of our city, really globally, they're under great distress. It's been very hard, very challenging, unbelievable how and what we face this year. Great distress, but also great reproach. Now, great distress is personal. Great reproach is spiritual. It's their reputation that they carry toward God. So, so because of how they've responded, because of what they've got, you know, for the people in Jerusalem, the reason why the walls are all down is because they don't care. You know, as you study Ezra, you study Nehemiah, you find out that the people there are idolatrous, they're apathetic, they're self-centered. They don't care about the walls. They don't care about the temple. They don't care. As a matter of fact, if you study through the rest of Nehemiah, you find out that they don't care so much about the glory of God, and they, care, they don't care so much about each other that they're taking advantage of each other. They're ripping each other off, taking them, but they don't care. They don't care. And it takes somebody that cares to minister to people that don't care. Because if we just become a church that doesn't care, or cares about the wrong things, then we're going to find ourselves in a place where broken wall, down walls and the temple wasn't rebuilt and the people are languishing in great distress. They're hurting. But Nehemiah cares because he asks. And so notice in verse 4 of chapter 1, it says, so, when it, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Have you fasted? Lately, have you mourned over the condition of our city, of our country, of our world? It's much easier to get angry about it, isn't it? It's much easier to point the finger. You know, you could look at this and say, well, of course they're in distress. They don't care. It's their fault. Let them deal with the consequences of their own sin. And then before you know it, all of a sudden you don't care anymore. It's like, yeah, they deserve it. That's what they get. That's, that's what happens when you don't follow God or you don't care about God. Or, you know, think of a popular one. You know, the, the homeless situation. It's just increasing like you wouldn't believe. And it's easy. People that, well, they're homeless because they don't need it. They need to get a job. And it's just a response like, well, have you talked to them? How do you know their story? Have you gone up and talked to them and asked them questions about their life? Has you offered to not only give them a meal, but buy them a meal and sit down and talk about their lives? I bet you they have a story. 
I know they have a story as I've spoken to them. They have a life. And even if it is because of their own bad decisions, didn't you live in a way once where your own bad decisions caught up to you? Well, mine did. And I'm grateful for someone that cares. What's happened to the church during a trying time? What's happened to us? Where we're in reproach, our our, we're not representing the love of God. We're not weeping over our city. When's the last time you fasted over what you saw in the news? Over the rising plague of the damage to sin that sin causes in people's lives. That's really the root of it. You know, when you walk in the Spirit, everything you touch and everything you do touches eternity. It lasts. But if you live only for this world and you're caught up in these things of this world and all of the things that don't last and that won't outlive you, if you just live for today and you live for the toys of today and the pleasure and the power and the position and you just living for today, you can expect corruption. You can expect thievery. Remember Jesus said, don't lay out for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves come in and steal. You, you don't live. You have an eternal purpose. You have a destiny, church, to impact people's lives for all of eternity. And the city, you know, you, you think, well, Ed, what's the big deal about walls? Who cares about walls? Like we don't, in our minds, we can't think, we don't have walls surrounding Aurora. We don't have walls surrounding Denver. But in the ancient world, walls were super important to the safety and security of a city. They were the key piece of safety and security. So for walls to be broken down, listen, for walls to be broken down, they would leave the people vulnerable and less safe and less secure. They were vulnerable to all of the people that would want to take advantage of them. All the people that would want to hurt them, all their enemies. And there were plenty of enemies. We meet a couple today in our text. They're always enemies of the people of God. And one of the ways the door is open to destroy lives is to break down the walls. And so what's happening, the walls of our community are being broken down. Things that we once trusted in, they are no longer valued. We're no longer looking up to them, no longer valuing. You know, you think of the, the cries to defund police, you know, that we were teaching our kids not too many years ago to trust the police. We still teach them. That they're there for your good. Sure, there are people that make bad decisions, but they're few and far between. But now we live in a culture that says, no, no, you don't need that. You can't trust in the church. They're not trustworthy. You can't trust in the police officers or the people, the structures, that the, everything that you once kind of held on to and said, you know, this is the right thing. Like, like, we're living in unprecedented days. And, you know, in a church that teaches the Bible and in a church that teaches prophecy, one of the things that puzzles me is I don't understand why everybody's freaking out. We know this is going to happen. I, I don't understand. Like, oh, no, what's happening? I, I think, what's, I think I've, I've hit it where, you know, praying through it and thinking through it. I think what's happening is there's a piece where, you know, I'm freaking out because I didn't think it was going to be my generation. <laughs> I believe it's going to happen. I just didn't think I was going to see it with my own eyes. But it, the Bible has already spoken about perilous times. Men will be lovers of themselves. That, that people will betray one another. That even family disintegration. And you, you I mean, it, the Bible is, this is no surprise except that we are seeing it with our own eyes. And we're a generation that's being called to a higher level of living as believers. It's our generation. It's a privilege to be in this generation. This is what God's called us to. You were born for this church. You were born to be alive right now, seeing and experiencing all that you're seeing and experiencing. Why? For the gospel. 
lives. The greatest issue, as we saw in, uh, in our Christmas service, the greatest issue is sin. So God sent a Savior, and we get to represent Him. You know, it's easy for us as we think through this and think, well, you know, God is using Nehemiah. He's going to use Nehemiah. Very encouraging. However, you know, Nehemiah is a man of God. Of course, God uses men and women of God. It doesn't make, of course, we, we, all, we know that already. We, we see a faithful brother or sister here, and you go, you know what? God's hand's upon her. God's going to use her in a great way. Or God's hand's upon him. I could see God using. That doesn't surprise us, but does God use unbelievers? Say it out loud. Yes or no, church? Yes. Does he use unbelieving government officials? Yeah, but the church is freaking out. When government officials make decisions that they're not saved, they don't love God, and all their decisions speak of hatred toward God. And the church goes, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Why? This world doesn't like the church. Did you know that? The world doesn't like the church. Jesus said, they hated me. So be, just don't be surprised when they hate you. I don't, I don't understand what it is about the church that wants the approval of man. We don't need the approval of man. You know, there's been a phrase that's become super popular uh, among the church in 2020. And it's like the church has got signs and they're posing. Church is essential. Church is essential. Church is essential. Listen, if we have to say that, we have not shown the world how essential we are. If we have to call, oh, church is essential. Of course it's essential. Jesus created the church. But let me suggest this to you. And I understand this may be unpopular, but receive it. Pray over it. I don't believe, personally, biblically, that the church is as essential just coming together in one room. Like, that's the big deal. It's a big deal. Don't misunderstand me. We're not to neglect the coming together and worshiping. That's not what I'm saying. But this isn't as important. The church isn't as essential coming together for an hour and a half in a building as it is essential when you walk out those doors and live out the life of Jesus Christ in your community. That's the essential church. It's not just settling, well, you know, please let us gather together. Look, we will unlock the doors. If you want to gather together, we will be here. We don't need to ask permission. We're here. It's not a declaration that we're essential. Just be essential. Step into people's lives, church. Some of you are just so close to reaching someone. You're that close. Like I think, I think of how close you are to reaching your boss with the gospel. Your boss. He would never sit in here. She would never come here. Never tune into the radio. But you were just in her office being reprimanded. That close. I can't get into her office. But because you're messing up at work, you're in her office all the time. <laughs> you're right there. Think about it. You are so close to ministering to your neighbor. Right, right there. You share a fence or not. You are so close. But if we get caught up in things, like if you're not praying and fasting and weeping over the lostness of this world, you're just going to miss it. You know, God, he will use people. He'll use people that love him, but he'll use people that don't. Like the, the people that are making decisions, you know, government officials, like the church is acting like they're the last word. They're not the last word. God is greater. God is greater. He is sovereign over every country, every nation. And the history of the Bible is that God will use even the worst of rulers to accomplish his purposes on the earth. Nobody's going to undermine God. Not even Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh? Pharaoh, he is enslaving the people of God. The worst of the worst. The whole nation is under the thumb of Pharaoh, the world ruler. Do you know how close Pharaoh was? to becoming a part of the plan of God in a good way? 
Do you know how close he was? He was so beloved of God, Pharaoh was. This. Pharaoh was a wicked, evil man. He was a baby killer. He was wicked, evil man. But God loved him so much that he sent him a personal messenger with a message just for Pharaoh. He didn't send Moses to someone else. He didn't send Moses to another country. This man, Pharaoh, received a message directly from God through Moses and Aaron, directly over and over, giving him chance after chance after chance. And Pharaoh resisted, hardened his heart. And you know what? God still accomplishes will. Pharaoh didn't want to be a part of it. God still accomplished his will. Because what was the will of God? Get the children of Israel out of Egypt. That was his will. What happened? The children of Israel left Egypt. What happened to Pharaoh? He died with the army. But God used Pharaoh. Could have used him cooperating. Could have used him anyway. I think of in the Bible where God used King Cyrus. God used Cyrus to release his people from Babylon in Ezra chapter 1. I think of Caesar in the first century. He is the one that gave the decree... The governmental decree that moved, even though they probably didn't want to move, moved Mary and Joseph to be at the right place at the right time. Why? To fulfill prophecy. To bring forth the Messiah. God used Caesar of all people. God used the Roman centurions not once but twice to save Paul's life. And he can use people in authority right now in your life and mine for his purposes, his will, his work in your life. It's so encouraging to me. That's Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace, and he's been sharing a special message called Church, Let's Rise Up. This would be a good one to share with your friends and family, and it's easy to do when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com. Copy the URL, paste and share through social media. Have you had the chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word, and you can download it for free today by searching for Calvary Aurora. You'll also find us on Apple Podcasts. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads them. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord for provision. Pastor Ed, in your new book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart, you speak on the biblical theology of suffering. Can you briefly give us a glimpse of what that is? You know, Larry, I can. I think the best place to do that, uh, the best summary of a biblical understanding of suffering is in John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you, have made, you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In that one statement, you have not only the facts surrounding suffering, but you also have the counterbalance of God's faithfulness and the overcoming power of faith in Jesus Christ. The reality is, is if you are in this world, and if you're listening to me, you are, then suffering is going to be a part of your life. Suffering comes to the good and to the bad, comes to the righteous and the unrighteous. Suffering is a part of living in this world, but for the believer, and only the believer, can you see purpose in your pain. And so a biblical understanding or a theology of suffering is important for you to know because there is a very, very popular stream of Christianity today, in some cases not even Christianity, 
that says, as a believer, I was just seeing this guy on TV the other day. It was so frustrating. I should flip right through those channels. But he was up there selling his DVD and and propagating this false teaching that the moment you were born again, you were destined to financial prosperity and never be sick again. And if you just got his DVD, uh, you he would give you all the insight. He's not, and people like that, male or female, they're not telling you the truth. They're not speaking forth the words of Jesus Christ. They're not leading you to Jesus Christ, and they're to be rejected. I'm sorry that you're suffering. I wish you weren't. But I can't undo, and neither can you, the truth that we live in a fallen world. And the Lord is with you. And when we use the word theology, we need to understand that God is with you in the suffering. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's a good thing to know the truth about something, because then you can navigate in a right way. Thanks for asking. When you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more, ask for a copy of God's Help for the Troubled Heart. Call now, 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it on Amazon. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.